Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. Well, what a great morning it is. Why don't you let's let's applause after that. Let's <laughs> praise God. Make sure you thank these guys. I, sometimes I think we feel like they get a lot of glory or something if, because they're up on stage. But uh, they're here early to rehearse. They uh, spend time throughout the week practicing, and then they, they stay late and tear down. And so uh, it's great to have uh, a worship team that is uh, committed to worship and committed to, to leading people in worship. Uh, I think there's, a, there's sort of a, a freshness in the air uh, as the new year comes. I think uh, a lot of people are really excited for I, I, this might be the first year I think I've ever witnessed a lot of people being more excited for 2016 to be over than they are for 2017 to come, and I think that's pretty funny. Um, but there's some, there's some good news, uh, and that is that throughout all of 2016, God has still been God. God has been in control, and that will be no different uh, for the new year. Um, uh, I put up, uh, let's put up on the screen, here's some common New Year's resolutions. Uh, some of these you may be able to identify with. Most of these are pretty much standard throughout the year. I think my favorite one is make no New Year's resolutions. Lose weight, eat healthier, hit the gym. Uh, I saw a picture online last night of just an empty gym room and it, was, it said calm before the storm. Travel, manage stress better, spend less, save more, get out of debt. Enjoy life to the fullest. Actually, I don't know what that one even means. <laughs> it's kind of vague. Uh, make no resolutions. Spend more time with family. Uh, get a new job. Quit your current job, maybe. Quit smoking. Quit drinking. Go to church more. Um, I want to start off this morning by saying if go to church more is your New Year's resolution or reconnecting with God or engaging in something, someone spiritually, uh, if that is your New Year's resolution, uh, I would love to help you with that. At Mission View, we would love to come alongside you and help you with that. And if something about the Christmas season that has just come and gone has inspired you to be here or inspired you to come to church for the new year, I just want to let you know that we're glad you're here. Uh, likewise, if any of these things on this list look like something that you want to accomplish, uh, such as get out of debt, spend less, save more. Mission View would love to come alongside you in that. And it doesn't mean that we will have all the answers for you. It doesn't mean that we can really help you get a new job or even that we would advise you to quit your current job. Some New Year's resolutions aren't very good. Uh, but uh, if you have a resolution or a mission that you want to accomplish, use the church as a resource for you. Uh, I say that because the members of the body can help build one another up. We can help. Uh, encourage each other. And just to prove that I'm genuine with that, I want to put my New Year's resolutions up here as well. Drink more water and less pop. Cook more for Emily. Read a fiction novel. I uh, uh, have been in school and just graduated out of school, so I have not read for pleasure in years. Uh, sharpen my Spanish. The students are going to be on a mission trip uh, with John Reeser, one of our missionaries in Mazatlan, Mexico, coming up pretty soon. Uh, overall, I want to complain less. Uh, I think a, a goal or a, should be specific, and that's not very specific, so maybe I need to be more pointed with that. I want to make more non-Christian friends. I want to know the names of my neighbors, and I want to know the names of everyone at Mission View. And that's a scary one, actually, because now people are going to come up to me and say, hey, what's my name? And I'm going to say, 
I don't know. <laughs> Bob. Um, it's a scary one because people will help hold me accountable to that. Now everybody's interested if I actually know their name. With some people, the time, it's been just long enough where it's too late to actually ask them and reintroduce myself, but anyway. Uh, I say this because there's something about speaking truth into somebody's life. So when Adam is on his third can of Coke and hasn't had any water for the day, somebody can say, Adam, I don't know if you should be drinking that. Or if Adam has spent months and months and months watching TV or something like that, and I haven't been sharpening my Spanish, or I haven't been cooking for my wife, or I haven't been trying to get my, to know my neighbors, people can call me out on it. In Proverbs 27, 27, 17, it says, iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. So we have the benefit of being able to speak truth into somebody's life. For a lot of us, uh, if our, our big resolution is to get out of debt and we spend like crazy and we don't have any sort of financial plan, then we might need somebody to speak truth into our life. Paul is a guy who's all about speaking truth into people's lives. So if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to pick up where we've been in our series. It's titled Working for God, and that's what we're talking about today, speaking truth, speaking the truth. Working for God has been going on a while here at Mission View. Uh, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth, and he's, he's talking to them as their co-workers or co-ministers in the gospel with him, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is traveling all around in his sort of style, uh, his missionary style, is he'll, he'll go to a church and he'll, he'll, uh, or a place, a city, he'll live there, he'll work there, he'll help build the church, um, and he won't accept any financial recompense from them, and then he'll move on to start planting new churches, and he'll receive support from the old churches, but throughout this whole time, he'll be writing letters back to the churches that he had just planted, and so 2 Corinthians is another one of those letters. And in these letters, he, he clears up misconceptions, he answers questions, he addresses particular issues, and sometimes he provides correction when needed. Raise your hand if you think the church needs correction sometimes. If you're not raising your hand, you are incorrect. And so in a few chapters, uh, chapters 8 and 9, he finishes up talking about the collection. So he's building up a collection for believers in Jerusalem. He finished up that. He moves on in chapter 10 to defend kind of his own ministry and his purpose. And that thought launches us into chapter 11. So as we go into chapter 11, I got three questions that I think are going to help guide us. Number one, what is the issue? What's the issue we're talking about? I said he, he uh, provides clarity on certain issues. Two, what is the message what is Paul's primary message that he's trying to convey to the church at Corinth? And three, what do we do? What do we do with that? All right, first, what is the, uh, what is the issue? Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is verse 1 through 6. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you've accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. And indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So what I want to do is I just want to kind of track through uh, the verses, one verse at a time. Uh, I wish you'd bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Divine, not an earthly jealousy. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul starts off saying, bear with me, a little foolishness coming. And he got, he's going to use a, uh, a marriage metaphor. He's going to use a marriage metaphor. And I just got married so I can understand this a little bit. Uh, he uses a marriage metaphor. And he says, I betrothed you to one husband, to Christ. And so he is speaking as if he is the Corinthian sort of spiritual father. I think a lot of us have a sort of spiritual father, maybe a mentor, maybe a leader in our life, maybe a parent. And he begins to use this marriage metaphor, and he says he has a divine jealousy, which is different than an earthly jealousy. And that the core issue in verse 3 is that the Corinthians' thoughts are being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. They're being led astray. Can this happen? Can the church be led astray? Raise your hand if you think so. More people raise their hands that time. The church can be led astray, yes. And it's important to know he is talking to the church. He is addressing them as the church, and not just the church, but co-workers, co-ministers for the gospel with them. And as their spiritual father, Paul is concerned. Guys, if you want to go on a date or propose eventually to a young lady whose approval do you need? Dads. If you don't have dad's approval, things are not going to go well. And I say that to say that dad cares. Dad is the one that cares. When you get married, dad usually is the one to give the bride away traditionally. And this is a big deal because Paul's wasn't the only message at the time. Paul's message was not the only one. So while he had this style where he'd go and wander from place to place and plant churches, bringing the good news of Christ, other people were doing the same thing. And so he finds that there is competition for their attention. The church has competition. And so as their spiritual father, he cares. He cares about them being led astray. Just like a father might have a very strict, very... Uh, tight uh, uh, idea about who it is their daughter should marry, so too Paul really, really cares that the Corinthians have a right view of Christ and that they are pursuing pure, as a pure virgin, Christ, their husband. And that's a marriage metaphor that we see oftentimes in Scripture is that Christ and the church married as a bride and bridegroom. So he wasn't, it wasn't, his wasn't the only message. And we're bombarded with messages too. Sometimes they're very secular. If you go and you see, uh, we just got done with the Christmas season, we see a lot of, uh, you need this vacuum. You really need this vacuum. This vacuum is going to change your life. Or you need a gym membership, and our gym is the one that you need to come to. And sometimes we're bombarded with 
religiously undertoned messages, spiritual messages, uh, whether they're explicitly spiritual or not. Uh, how many people have seen the coexist bumper sticker? Right? That's a pretty common one. We're bombarded with messages as well in our day, secular and religious ones. And it's important to know because God is also divinely jealous. God is also divinely jealous. I want to read to you in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he lists the first of ten commandments and it says, you shall have no other gods before me. The second, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God doesn't share. If you want to know an interesting fact about God that is repeated all throughout Scripture, God doesn't share. God doesn't share glory. God doesn't share power. God doesn't share honor. And so as Paul continues, he says, the, the church at Corinth is readily enough putting up with a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel than the one he proclaimed to them. Here's a few examples. Another Jesus. Here's an example of another Jesus. Jesus was merely a great moral teacher. Jesus was merely a great moral teacher. That is an example of another Jesus. Jesus was a great moral teacher, yes, but he was so much more than that. Here's an example of another spirit. Your heart is king. Follow your heart. Your heart is the boss. Do whatever your heart says. Do what your heart desires. Do what pleases you, even if that's something that might directly contradict what God has stated in his word. Here's an example of another gospel. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. This is something that is preached oftentimes by huge mega churches who have a prosperity outlook that if you uh, become a Christian, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy. But God, God helps those who help themselves, really. That's an example of another gospel. And so as we begin, what is the issue? The church at Corinth is being led astray. The church at Corinth is being led astray. Let's move on. What is the message? In verse 7. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. When I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way, as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. I don't like to write in my Bible, but if you are somebody who likes to scribble notes, uh, here, I would encourage you to do this. I'm going to read through it and encourage you to circle some things. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself? Circle the word humbling. So that you might be exalted. Circle the word exalted. Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. Circle the word free. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Circle the word serve. He's not saying he literally robbed other churches, but they supported him. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone. Circle did not burden. 
For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I will refrain, refrain from burdening you in any way. Uh, there's no, I don't have any way to, to, nothing to circle, but write incorruptible, incorruptible. One of the things that would happen in this, uh, this day and age is people would accept payment for their messages. People that would wander around like Paul did, would preach something, would accept payment. And so the fact that Paul did not require any payment for his message allowed others to say, well, he's not worth anything. And what he has to say isn't worth anything. But Paul has this method in mind where he does not accept payment, and now he is accountable to no one. Well, not, not unaccountable, but he is, uh, cannot be bought by anyone. His message remains and remains true the entire time. So write incorruptible. Then he says in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced. Circle, not be silenced. And why? Because I, love, I do not love you, God knows I do. Circle love. If you look up here, we have um, the core characteristics of his message. Paul comes humbly. His message comes humbly. It exalts others. It is free. It is a free gift. It serves. It is unburdensome. It is incorruptible. It is unsilenceable. And it is grounded in love. Does this sound like a message that any of us have maybe heard before? If you need some clarification, let me go through this with you. Comes humbly, Philippians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. God humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Exalts, Ephesians 2, 6. We are raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Immediately after that is Ephesians 2, 8. It is the free gift of God. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to, uh, not to be served, but to serve. Matthew 11.30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then finally, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Paul's message comes and it is the message of the gospel. And he doesn't just speak it. He doesn't come and just proclaim this message and, and leave. He lives it. This truth runs deep within him. And, and it, in one of his earlier letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, to this same church, he says, I resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified when I was with you. We're talking about speaking the truth. And Paul doesn't just speak the truth. He lives it out. This is a great opportunity for you parents. It's a great opportunity for everyone, but Paul began by using a sort of a marriage metaphor and a parental metaphor. And Paul acts as their spiritual father. Speak the gospel to your kids. Always speak the gospel to your kids, but live it too. How would a child, if I was to pull a child up here and say, how do you know that your parents love you? It'd probably be kind of difficult for them to answer. And sometimes if, you're, if your kid's in school, they might uh, bring home a little sheet or a little project that they've been working on. And it says, uh, my daddy loves me because he plays football with me. Or my mommy loves me because she cooks me SpaghettiOs. Kids know that they love them because of what their parents say and what their parents do what their parents say and what their parents do. 
In the same way, say and do. Say and do. Speak the message. Live the message. Speak the truth. Live it out. So Paul's message has credibility and it is genuine by his, by his love and by his life. It, there's not some sort of human value placed on it necessarily. Paul speaks the message, he speaks the truth, and he lives it. And this is back before there was a biblical canon, before there was a written book of scripture that we have now. But now we have the word of God, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Likewise, the written word of Scripture points to the living word, who is Jesus. Uh, Jesus says in John 5, 39, that the Scriptures bear witness about him. And then Jesus makes claims in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so if you want truth in your life, you don't want to follow another Jesus or another spirit or another gospel. We need to understand these words. That Jesus is more than just a good moral teacher. That your heart isn't king, but God is king. That God helps those who can't help themselves. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is the message. What is the message? Paul is preaching Christ. He's preaching Christ with his words. He's preaching Christ with his life. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a parent or not, to do the same. This is the truth that Paul is talking about when he says, the truth of Christ in me, this boasting of mine, will not be silenced. The truth of Christ pours out of him. And this is the message. So I, I'm going to ask you now, those of you uh, who maybe aren't believers, who maybe have come to church for the first or second time in a year since last Christmas, what are you going to do with that message? What are you going to do with that message? I have a gift here. In this bag, I have perhaps one of the greatest gifts anyone could ever receive. One of the greatest gifts. Does anybody have a guess, actually, at what's in it? I'll give you a hint. It's not like a churchy answer. It's not like a cross or something. Who's it? Money? No, it's not money. Anybody else? Diamonds? No, it's not diamonds. Eternal life? No, it's not churchy. Come on. Chocolate's a good guess. Uh, this, what I have in here, could absolutely, absolutely change someone's life, or at least their friends' lives. This is <laughs> Listerine Fresh Burst Antiseptic Kills Germs That Cause Bad Breath, Plague, and the Gum Disease Gingivitis. That's a good gift, depending on who you are. <laughs> depending on how you take it, right? Because if somebody has really bad breath, and they are gifted this. Maybe you pulled it. How would you like to pull this out of your stocking? They are gifted this. They have kind of two options. They can either take offense to it, throw it away, get rid of it. Or they can say, wow, I really must have an issue here. I really must have an issue within me that causes me to need this. Or at least my friends or my spouse think so. And this could, could change their life to some degree, right? It could help them get that job that they've been interviewing for, better their relationships. But there's something that you have to do in order to accept that gift. You have to accept your problem, your issue. 
And so speaking the truth can be difficult, but also hearing the truth can be difficult. So if you are hearing this message, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to take offense to it and throw it out? Or are you going to accept that you have a problem? You have a sin issue. That you are so bad and messed up that your relationship with God has been fractured. And you need God himself to come and fix the problem in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you going to accept that truth? Are you going to accept that message? Hearing the truth can be difficult as well. Let's keep on. Uh, verse 12. And what I am doing, Paul says, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if its servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul is saying, listen, there are opponents. We're talking about the message. In, within the core of the message, there are opponents. And these opponents disguise themselves. In fact, they disguise themselves and act like they're on the same terms as Paul, like they have the same message, like they're the same apostles. But really, they disguise themselves and they preach a counterfeit. Uh, remember the serpent, which he referenced earlier in verse 3. He's so unoriginal. If you recall, in the beginning of Genesis, the serpent didn't even have his own message that he gave Eve. He just twisted the truth of God with questions. Did God really say? Did God really say you shall not eat from that tree? I have some examples of twisted truths. Number one, there are many ways to heaven. This is a twisted truth. There are many ways to heaven. That's a twisted truth. Number two, the Christian God and Allah are the same God. That's a twisted truth. It's not true. That's really what I'm trying to say. It's twisted. Uh, number three, God would 100% definitely, absolutely, undoubtedly vote for whoever. Number four, I can pick and choose what I want out of Scripture. Maybe I should use a, a different, different term than twisted truth. These are things that are counterfeit. They're made to look like the real message or the real gospel, but they're not. And we find the real message, the real gospel in Christ and in the Word. All right, so what do we do? What do we do with this? I want to encourage you to seek the truth and to speak the truth. We're talking about truth. Seek and speak the truth. So whether you're a believer or an unbeliever at this time, I encourage you to seek the truth always. You can do this uh, through apologetics. Many of you, or some of you, I should say, are probably very skeptical about this whole Christian religion thing. I'd encourage you to seek a mental, a intellectual pursuit of what it means to be a believer. I would encourage you to seek what it means when I say that this is a historical book and that Christ's birth, death, and resurrection are historical events. If you're a believer, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. You can also find truth in God's word, God's written word, 
which he has given to us. You can find truth in the church as a body of believers. You can find truth from mentors and leadership. Just as Paul was the spiritual father of the Corinthians, you can find truth in people who will challenge you. You can find truth in Christian friends. If you have a bunch of non-Christian friends and the only Christians that you know are here in this building right now, I'd encourage you to go and continue to gather Christian friends who will speak truth into your life. Don't just seek truth, but speak truth into one another. Live it. I have a, a friend who was a, a roommate in college, and uh, he got married when he had one semester left of, of college. And so as you can imagine, that last semester, his second semester of his senior year, and he just got married, was, it was very difficult for him to focus on school. And I had taken a class the semester before him, and so he would always come to me with questions about the class. And uh, I remember one weekend, uh, all the guys on the floor were going out. Uh, I think we were just going to the movies and maybe to the, to the zoo uh, in Chicago. And uh, he came up to me, he said, Adam, it's the test uh, that I have to take for Psalms. It was a Psalms class. He said, is it hard? And he was the kind of guy who everything, he lived in the extremes. Everything was the best day ever or it was hell on earth. If I gave him uh, a pencil, he'd be like, you are the best. Thank you so much for this pencil. His day would be awesome. Uh, five minutes later, I'd come see him working on his homework, and he was like in tears because he broke the lead on the pencil. Okay, he's that kind of guy. And so I knew that if I told him the test was hard and I recommended to him that he stay in that weekend and work on studying and work on his homework, he was not going to be very happy. But it would not have been loving of me to do that and have him fail his test. So I had to speak the truth into my friend's life and say, hey, it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's pretty hard. You should probably study. Speak the truth into your friend's lives as well. Are you willing to speak the truth? Are you willing to live the truth? Are you willing to speak the truth about uh, like this mouthwash? Are you willing to speak the truth into people's lives about they're messed up and they need a savior? And there are going to be plenty of counterfeit messages out there. So if you want to recognize a counterfeit, you need an original. Um, I think that the same way to do that, we talked about uh, in the office recently how to identify false teachers or how to identify a false message. I think in order to rec recognize a counterfeit, you need an original. And here's what I mean. The original message comes humbly. It exalts. It is a free gift. It serves. It is unburdensome. It is incorruptible. It is unsilenceable. And it is grounded in love. The messages that you're hearing, do they fall in line with these things? Are they incorruptible? If maybe the, the preacher, or the pastor, or the leader, uh, if everything is taken away from them, will they still preach the same gospel? If they got cancer, would they still be preaching the same gospel day in, day out? That's an incorruptible message. Is it one that exalts themselves or exalts you, saying you can have eternal life with God? Is it one that comes humbly or is proud and builds themselves up? If you want to recognize a real message, does it serve? Is it grounded in love? 
I'd encourage you, if maybe you are the type of person that likes to church hop and maybe you're just visiting this morning, uh, find a church where the message is spoken but also lived out in these things. That's the gospel. That's the truth of Christ that Paul is talking about. Uh, if you want this message, if you want this truth, if you want it to be something that dwells within you and creates and causes change within you so that you can have a right relationship with God, I want to talk to you about it. Come, come and talk to me. I'm going to be down here uh, a little bit as we continue in worship. I would love to talk to you about it and pray with you. For now, let me pray. God, you are good and you love us. Um, you have given us a message that we are so bad that we cannot earn our way to you. We cannot be good enough people. We cannot be good enough parents. We cannot be good enough uh, children. We can't be good enough students. And so we need a Savior, one who will come down to us pay the penalty, pay the price for our sins, but not just that, not just die on a cross, but raise again so that we can have a right relationship with you. So we know that you, by your power, by your spirit, by your gospel, you have mended that broken relationship. God, I pray that you would mend broken relationships with you this year. That all these resolutions, these are good things, they can be good things, but God, we want a right relationship with you. We want to grow in our relationship with you. I pray that we would do that this year. Uh, I pray that if we need to, we would do that today. We would begin that, that journey of, of knowing you and glorifying you and honoring you with our lives. God, help us to identify a truthful message. And then once we have that truthful message, help us to speak it in love into people's lives. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.